To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week on Eastman's Elevated, I have on Donnie Wilson and Robert Gary. So Donnie Wilson has been on my radar for a while. Uh, Donnie Wilson absolutely gets after it, loves to elk hunt, and take some next-level photographs. Uh, his photography skill is off the charts. He, he shot three different cover shots for Eastman's Hunting Journal last year. Um, so just an amazing guy, finally able to connect with him, get him on the podcast. He had one of his buddies on there, Robert Gary. Uh, so this is the first time I've got a chance to meet Robert. He owns and operates Latitude Outfitting. And this is just a, a great, authentic, organic conversation on Eastman's Elevated. So I get, I kind of get to know these guys. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. We'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, Zamberlin builds the highest quality boots. I'm so impressed by these things. So this season I've been using uh, the 320 Trailite Evo GTX. This is just an awesome lightweight, low height hi hiking boot. Uh, also, I'm a tennis shoe guy. I love tennis shoes. So I've ran their 103 Hike Light RRs, and I've ran those a ton as well. Uh, they're just a hardier, burlier shoe. They still have a Vibram sole. They have water blocker. The 320 trail lights are absolutely waterproof with their uh, Gore-Tex membrane. And, and to tell you the truth, the best waterproof boots I've ever owned. Uh, usually the waterproofing lasts for about a month, and then I have wet feet. These things, uh, for the entire year or longer, I'm still wearing last year's pair, are still waterproof. So they're amazing. Uh, I wear one of their boots for late season. It's their uh, 1110 uh, Baltero Light GTX. This is an uninsulated boot, but it's a little bit burlier, higher boot that um, keeps my feet warm during the late season. So I'll be wearing those as it gets... Uh, way down below zero. They have uh, uh, an insulated boot that I'm really excited to try out for late season. It's their uh, 3031 Polar GTX RR, uh, and that's an insulated uh, wintertime boot. So I'll be trying those maybe next season or something like that, but it sure looks like a quality boot. Uh, so make sure to check out Zamberlin, uh, best boots on the market by far. Um uh, I also want to thank uh, our sponsor, Swagger Bipods. Swagger Bipods, uh, they make a different bipod or shooting sticks depending on what your needs are. So they make a, a bench rest tripod, which is lighter, shorter legs. It's made for shooting in the prone position. It'll swivel and swing, and the legs are tension-loaded or spring-loaded, uh, so you can get tension back into your shoulder wherever you need it. Uh, then they have their standard Swagger Bipod. Uh, these are great. Uh, they're a little bit bigger bipod. Uh, you can swivel and track your target with them the same as you can the smaller one. They have extendable legs where you can shoot from a prone, sitting, kneeling position. Uh, it's just super handy. Like shooting a rifle accurately is all about the rest. And Swagger, 
they they make these bipods so that you can track your target and move where you don't got to pick your legs up of your tripod and reset them. You just swivel your gun to keep on target. Uh, they also have a set of shooting sticks if you don't like the weight of a bipod on your rifle. Uh, and I should say these bipods also have a quick detach, which is really handy that you can attach them when you're ready to shoot or detach them, have them right on the side of your pack or on your hip belt or something like that if you don't like the weight. But if you don't like having a bipod on your rifle, they also have a set of shooting sticks that are also tension loaded. Uh, a great set of shooting sticks that you can carry lightweight. And again, shooting a, a rifle accurately is all about the rest. So my daughter Katie used it last weekend for her deer and uh, worked flawlessly. So uh, we'll make sure to support those guys thanks to Swagger Bipods. Alrighty. Well, getting out these podcasts, I got some good ones coming up for you guys. Uh, make sure to check out everything we have going on over there at Eastman's. Uh, check out um, the, the magazines, Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Been writing a couple pieces for those that will be coming out here shortly. Uh, make sure to check out our Beyond the Grid, which is our internet TV show. Just search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. And then uh, also tech, check out uh, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. And I also heard, uh, I think we're on Amazon now. I had a buddy shoot me a text that he was watching one of my hunts on Amazon. Uh, I believe it was last night. So uh, check out that. And uh, you can check out my other fly fishing specific podcast, Eastman's Flycast. Find that anywhere where you get your podcasts. And with that, let's get into this deal. So, um, yeah, this is uh, Donnie Wilson, finally able to connect with him. Great guy. And then uh, met Robert Gary, uh, owner and operator of Latitude Outdoors, or Latitude Outfitters, excuse me. Uh, great podcast, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. So I've got, I've got uh, Robert Gary from Latitude Outfitters, and I've got Donnie Wilson. So this is the first time meeting both you guys. Uh, just want to thank you again uh, for being on the podcast or taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, yeah, appreciate appreciate the offer. Yeah, so um, we're just talking, Donnie, about your new addiction of of elk hunting. Um, but you've been following a lot of guys around with the camera and haven't had your chance yet. Do you have a tag for this season? I have a couple good tags this year. Um, I have a tag in Montana, pretty good Eastern Montana tag. And then November 13th, I have a uh, tag in Unit 8, Arizona. Oh, wow. You're starting off with a bang. <laughs> yeah, we're going, we're going right after it. Uh, both archery tags, so should be a pretty fun hunt on both of them. Man, good for you. Um, so year and a half, and it's just in your blood. It uh, has to be all you can think about now at this point with two tags like that. Yeah, I, I, I leave here in about 10 days, 11 days, something like that, to go to Utah to photograph an elk hunt in the Boulder unit, which is Utah's premier unit so i'm going to be there for 14 days and then i come back home for three or four days and and head out for opening day in montana and uh kick off my season after that good for you well hopefully they don't all look small after that utah unit yeah <laughs> I, I have a feeling they're all going to be pretty small but i'm okay with it 
It, it looks like a heck of a unit there in Utah. I follow uh, your social media is how I met you. I just introduced myself, but I love following your social media. Your elk pictures drive me nuts, but you just posted one recently uh, of a giant bull, and you had mentioned that magical number of 400 was the, the bull previous to that one that you were hunting, but that unit has some giant bulls, huh? It does. Um, the bull we were after last year, he ended up dying um, around October, mid-October last year. We chased him for 28 days last year and didn't lay eyes on him for 28 days. Um, the plan was to go back this year and get back after him, and we didn't get a picture on camera since October and and just put it out there that we were searching to see if anybody had found him dead. And we found out that, uh, he had died mid October last year. So we had to switch gears and jump on another bull. That bull's pretty good one too. I'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, man, how cool would you say, uh, there's more pressure or less pressure when you're running the camera, trying to capture everything on film? Uh, Definitely less. Like, for me, it's less, you know, some people may think differently about it, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not hunting. I'm not shooting. I'm familiar with the camera. I've done it a ton. It's less pressure for me at the moment of truth, just, just because I'm, I'm standing over the shoulder. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like when I'm not the guy shooting, I'm a lot more calm and collected. And it, it seems like I got my wits about me. And, um, you know, you're just kind of watching the world through that viewfinder. I, you know, I only ask because it, it is high pressure trying to get that kill shot and you only have one chance. Uh, but, but sounds like you're familiar with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm usually the guy in their ear trying to get them to shoot. Like that's, <laughs> that's me, you know, I'm, I'm usually the guy telling them I got great footage and they can fire at will. God, that killer instinct. So, so Robert, uh, you run Latitude Out- Outfitters. Where are you located at? Um, so, so Brian, home base is actually just south of the Missoula area. Um, uh, uh, Hamilton, Montana, the Bitterroot Valley. But uh, uh, the, the our, our Alpine operation, Brian, runs statewide, actually. Oh, wow. Um, years ago when I... Yeah, when I got into the business, it was it was one of those things you could either kind of be pigeonholed into certain locales throughout the state, and a lot of the old outfitters were. Um, but I kind of felt, and I the guys that I went to work for at first thought it was a great platform that branched out. Like if you need to do work in Billings on the Bighorn or chase ducks on the front, um, should have the opportunity to do so, and kind of carried that platform when I stepped out on my own, uh, and so. Yeah, we kind of stretch ourselves out. Uh, I have a pretty large crew that's been working with me for a number of years. So uh, really throughout the state, from the northeast corner for deer, southwest corner for ducks, um, yeah, we we do cover it all. We try to cover it all at least. And just a little bit more well-roundedness, I guess, Brian, was the uh, the whole idea behind it. Oh, it's a really smart business plan. Yeah, being able to travel and then, you know, you're able to see places, you're able to see the cycles and go to where it's best at right now. Um, that, that uh, I, I think you said southeast. Yeah, that's the southeast is doing pretty good right now. But I bet you see that all the time with hunters is that killer instinct. Uh, it seems like... Um, you know, it's definitely a, an acquired skill, and it's like the more you hunt, 
the more you just try to seize that opportunity when you see it. And it is a fine line between, you know, forcing an arrow at a bad angle or something or like seizing that opportunity, seeing your window of opportunity and trying to put that arrow in there. Do you, I bet you see all different skill levels of hunters. No, I, I agree with what you just said for sure, Brian. I, I think it's one of those things, you know, it becomes a very fine line, right? And the assessment on our part is obviously based on the customer and, you know, the competency and how savvy, you know, he is or she is, that's for sure. Um, and then, you know, you got to rely on, you know, the guides to, to make the right call, not forcing it when the shot's not there or, um, you know, those are, those are all things that absolutely, I, I, again, I agree with that statement that you just made because it, it, it is the case. And, it, and it's almost play-by-play, play, right? Customer to customer, concession by concession, there's all kinds of factors that kind of wave, you know, kind of wave, you know, the, you ride the ups and down waves, you know, the ebb and flow of it all. You know, you get guys coming from the Midwest that, you know, haven't packed in boots or a guy who comes from the West Coast and has a gun capable of duties or a bow capable of duties, but he's not quite there. Like all those little factors that kind of play into the, the that moment, right? Um, the, the the either success or not success, and you know, quite honestly, it's one of those things that I I really believe that it's really important from our standpoint, from a commercial standpoint or an outfitting standpoint, that you have to have the team has to be on point with that. The people that you put in play, not only to represent the company, but to aid the customer, I, I believe it can make a difference. You know, we don't, we don't just hire anybody. Um, you know, we, we profile every single person that works for us in hopes that, right. When, when those decisions need to be made, they make the right decision. Right. I mean, and, and whether success is there or not, you, you, you trust the guys that you put into play They've done a good job at, at, you know, wait, you know, kind of, you know, wading through all those factors and to the best of their ability, helping a customer or helping a client come and, you know, you know pull, pull the trigger, touch the arrow off. Um, and, and you really, you do hope. And, and quite honestly, Brian, you, you know, as well as anybody else, a lot of times it doesn't happen. Right. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard for, for us to see it and a little harder for our customers to see it, right? Why did you pull me off the shot? Why didn't you let it go? Whether it was wind, whether it was topography, whether it was the animal, all those little things, all the little nuances that some, some folks just don't get, right? Or don't have, don't, I shouldn't say don't get, but just don't have the experience enough. Um, so yeah, yeah, all those things. And I, like I say, I wholeheartedly agree with the statement you just it, made. And I've seen, like I was, I was guiding whitetails in Ohio, Brian, for a long time. And now I'm running a camera out west, and I've worked with a, a number of different outfitters. And you see the difference in the outfitters, the hunters. You know, there's times when when I would have a guy in a different position, but I'm running a camera. It's not my, my place to say something or do something or tell a guy to shoot. There's times when, as a cameraman, I, I don't feel that it's my place to say anything. But if I was a guide, I would be telling this guy to shoot or not shoot or, or, or whatever the case. It's, it's a strange position to be in as a cameraman when I was in the other position as a guide for years. Oh, I bet. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I bet you have to hold your tongue uh, a few times and let the I, – I love, like, what you said about trusting your guides. Like, you trust your guides – 
to have the right hunting instincts to make the right decisions in you know when you hire these guys you look into their background but you're also looking at their performance with their clients how they're getting along but you're right there's all these these micro decisions that go into it all these instinctual decisions that you're just trusting your guide to make the right call and I like what you said too Donnie like it's not your client you're there to to videograph or photograph like you let that that guide do his job and do his work and um like it's easy sitting here on a podcast to talk about it but buck fever is real in the field and and sometimes clients need like a (laughs) you know sometimes clients need a a a grab them by the shirt and go come on follow me we need to get there and get there now and sometimes they need a calming voice is saying, okay, you got plenty of time. Make sure to settle your crosshairs, squeeze on the trigger. And so I can see where both applications come into play. And, and really they come into play for all of us, whether we're a guide, a hunter, photographer, um, on all our hunts. Like all these decisions come down to whether or not we get it done or not. And we definitely make some mistakes along the way, but we're just trying to do the best we can with the information we have. Yep, Absolutely. Yep, yep, exactly right. Man, how cool. Well, yeah, you guys got some big hunts coming up. Yeah, that um, you'll feel that buck fever a little bit more behind the bow than behind the camera, I bet, huh, Donnie? <laughs> I absolutely will. I'm looking forward to it. Like, I'm looking forward to it. Last year, you know, I had a, I had a mule deer tag. I had a pronghorn tag. I had an elk tag. And I hunted whitetails for six days, a couple of days in Ohio, and four or five days here in Montana. <laughs> that was all I hunted last year. This year, I'm trying to change that a little bit. Man, oh man, um, yeah, I I bet you'll be ready for the ready for the challenge. It'll be fun to to cut loose and chase some of those bulls around. Like I say. There's nothing that produces more buck fever than a giant six-point bull that's screaming his head off. And you got like a couple really good tags <laughs> that you're going to see some big bulls with five-foot antler above their heads and, and screaming crazy. Man, but I love what you said, um, how you're ready for it. Like um, those oh, are the guys ready. that – yeah, those are the guys that, that thrive in those conditions. The guys – you know, the receiver that wants the ball during game time or during the big game, you know, and I'm that same bow hunter where I want that hunt to come down to one shot with all the pressure on me. Like, you know, I, I train for that moment and, you know, hopefully I can thrive in that moment or at least I that's what I strive for. And that's what that's what all the practice is for. That's what all the the 3D tournaments, all the shooting your bow, the getting ready, the preparation comes down to wanting that chance at that high pressure moment. So I don't think you could have said it any better. Yeah, give me give me the broad head. Put me in coach, baby. Yeah, give me the broad head, coach. <laughs> like I'm ready. <laughs> Robert, that's funny. We use that same terminology. Uh I've got a buddy that'll you know, when you find a nice buck or a nice bull He'll be he'll be around getting jacked and he'll he used to be a running back and so he'll make that motion with the with his arms and go give me the ball coach put me in I'm ready for it and that's exactly Absolutely. how you got to be. Absolutely. I you know I I I think Brian you see that a lot more in the hunting world today, right? I I think the 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 transformation of you know even a decade past or 15 years past, um, I I. I, I will say overall, um, we 
see a more prepared hunter nowadays than we did in the past. That's that that's would be I mean from our perspective, right? Um, the, the the industry is always changing, right? And, and whether it's the hunting, you know, industry, or the fishing industry, I mean, it, it's the same for the ski industry, right? Ever evolving technology makes you know leaps and bounds, but in today's hunting world, we definitely see a a better prepared client or customer. Part of that is the way information gets, you know, transpired throughout and, you know, you can, you can do research digitally, you know, all those, uh, again, all those little things. And, and don't get me wrong. We still, we still get the guys that show up that are pulling boots out of a brand new box. That still happens. Um, but overall, I, w- I will say we definitely see a, a, a more prepared hunter than we did in, in uh, again, going back, you know, 10 years, 15 years or something like that. And, and, it, it, and it's, and it's, it's great. I mean, it, it's great for us, you know, from the commercial aspect, when you're asking a guy to pull, you know, 1500 feet of elevation or hike across the prairie in Northeast Montana, or, uh, or, you know, a guy to sit in a tree stand all day and back in the Midwest, like, you know, uh, way uh, again, advances in gear, technology, clothing, all of it, they all add up. But overall, I will definitely, I will definitely say that we see, see guys that are ready for it. You know, putting the, the put me in coach, we see more of them more often than we did in, in just a you know short time in, in, in the past. Oh man, that makes me happy. And, you know, I think guys get more out of their hunts that way. They, you know, they get to anticipate the hunt and work towards it, you know, uh, putting in their, their time preparing for it and being ready. And then, yeah, they're going to enjoy the experience. The better shape you're in, the more you enjoy it. And, and yeah, it just seems like the hunting community community has really come around to, you know, strength training and, and running and conditioning, preparing your body for it, um, which it just pays huge dividends. And I, I started on that road and sometimes it's tough to pinpoint, you know, where that fitness comes into play, but it comes into play physically, it comes into play mentally, like mentally you're strong, always have a good attitude, always ready to go check over the next hill. Um, gosh, that, that just pays such dividends come season. And so, man, I'm really glad these guys are, are preparing and using, you know, I, I believe like right now, you know, is the good old days. Like it's the information day and age and there's still trophies all throughout the West and great adventures to be had. If you're just willing to put in the work and even a, a blue collar guy, uh, uh, an average guy can save up and go on one of these hunts like with you or to, to put in his research and go on some of these units, like a couple of the units that you've drawn, Donnie. I, I just think that's so great that guys are using that information and, and um, really preparing themselves for the hunts. Um, so, yeah, I bet that is really good for you and your outfitting, too. Uh, I bet those guys, when they show up, they're way more efficient and effective. They kind of expect what's coming and bumps in the roads. And, and um, you guys could really work together to try to harvest his trophy or give him the experience he's looking for. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Brian, it's funny because I I, I have listened um, – I do, I do listen to um, – your, your, the version of the podcast regarding fishing well as well. And I got to say, it's the same in the angling community, right? Again, there's been, you know, I, I, I always tell customers like, like shape skis have made average skiers that much better, right? 
you know, the way graphite is rolled nowadays, it makes, you know, a fly cast way much, you know, way more easier than it did, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago. But even on the angling side of that, you, we, we see it. And again, not necessarily as physically demanding, but just the preparation for. I can't tell you how, how often we get in our, in, our, in, our, in our fishing side of the business where guys like, well, what's my average shot? And, and again, that, that might have been a question for a saltwater angler to take one of our destination trips. But, like, just the trout guys that come here to, to Montana or Wyoming, we also run a, a, a program in Wyoming. But the, the fact is these guys want – they want to come and, you know, and be prepared the best they can be. Um, so whether that means, you know, again, on the, you know, in a fishing – from a fishing standpoint, you know, chucking it, you know, dandelions in the yard with a five-weight, right? Or, uh, you know, a salmon steelhead trip and, and putting an eight-weight under, you know, underneath them for a couple of weeks before – you know, we ship them to BC or something like that. You're seeing it all over, right? across the board, on both sides of those industries. Which, again, from my standpoint, a hell of a lot better. Wow, that's good to hear. Yeah, well, and it does just, um, you know, it like even that fly fishing or any of that fishing, it's it's precision casts under pressure. It's not mu- it's not a whole lot different than trying to make a shot with your bow. It's just you have to make it yeah, over and over all day long. You have to continue to do the right thing, and he's not there for every cast, but eventually, you know, he'll be there. But that's just awesome to hear the the preparation and that guys are using this information. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of... Like you hear about the heydays of hunting mule deer in the 60s and the 70s, and, and I think back yeah. then there wasn't all the information out there. It wasn't as competitive, and there was guys that were getting into them, but it was a lot easier. It didn't take as much effort. You didn't have to go off the roadways. You know, there was really good units to draw, and so like everything's kind of evolved. And I think you know on the hunting side and the fishing side. There's a lot of bros that are grow- going really hard that are trying to look for that quality experience. And so, you know, therefore, yeah. you have to do your homework and be prepared and put in that effort to get that experience because it is so competitive. And, um, you know, there there is, you know, pressure on the rivers and, and, and more guys fishing and more guys hunting. And so I think it takes that. Yeah. But there's a lot of mountains and rivers out there. And it just seems like no matter how many people join, you can always just go find your own experience. There's still the same deer and elk numbers. There's still the the same fish numbers. And it it's just about like, like putting in your time and it, eventually you find magic in the woods. Is uh, Do you guys feel like that too? Like putting in your time, you just create good scenarios. It, it It's almost like it just takes that time in the field to really make something happen. Like Donnie, how many days are you planning for your elk hunts this year? Uh, Montana, two to three weeks. And then Arizona, two weeks. And, and, you know, both of those tags, anybody can draw, um, especially the Montana tag. Anybody can draw that almost every year. The Arizona tag, I'm doing a late archery season, so it's it's not super hard to draw. Oh, cool. You know, I think I drew it with five points. So, but both of those tags, you know, we're looking we're looking for animals that are, you know, high quality animals. Like, and anybody can draw those tags, but but you have to do your research, you have to do your networking, like you have to figure out where you want to go and. What, what's best, what you're looking for, how long you want to wait for to draw that tag. You know, you have to look at all of it, but anybody can do it. 
anybody can do it. I'm not spending any money for an outfitter. I'm not, I'm, I'm not paying anybody to take me. I'm doing it on my own, and I'm looking at, you know, super high-quality elk. Man, yeah, I love that. That's that's what I look for, Donnie. I've been hunting elk a lot of years, and you know, I've graduated throughout the years to really target big mature six points and big mature six point only. You know, wherever I'm headed, and same thing as you. I've got, you know, an over the counter tag and a real easy draw tag, but just like last year, you know, a really good six by seven out of one unit and a really good six point out of the other one. And the thing you have on your side, Donnie, is you planned it right. You've got that time, two to three weeks in Montana, two weeks in Arizona. And I love that late archery hunt, by the way. I heard you mention the unit, and I know that's a quality unit, but you're right. Those later season November post-rut hunts, you know, those are easier to draw hunts down there that, you know, you draw, you drew with five points, but it's still got those trophy caliber bulls in there. And, and to be honest, I cut my teeth hunting elk in that, that late season post rut in Montana, they give us a general elk tag and I've been bow exclusive for probably about the last 12 or 15 years. But when I first got here, it was all about killing big bulls. And that was whether it was with the bow or with the rifle. And so I spent those rifle seasons, those cold November days, you know, trying to find bachelor herds <laughs> of bulls and in and, and trugging through the deep snow trying to find them and really paying my dues. But it taught me so much about hunting, you know. So I love those those late season tags. And I'm yet to go do one of those ones in Arizona, but I really want to try it, man. That looks like fun. Yeah. I, I, I'm skipping the snow in late season Montana <laughs> to go to sunny Arizona late season and hunt early season Montana. So yeah. I'm kind of copping out on that one. <laughs> well, uh, go get after late season somewhere. They, they will be late season in that Arizona, though, where they are going to be post-rut. Um, it'll be nice not to yeah, have to deal sure. with the snow. Um, but, yeah, but it is going to be yeah. a different style of hunting with your bow. You're, you're going to be, Absolutely. have to be exclusive spot and stock on those bulls, right? Yeah, exactly. We may, we may sit some water. We may sit some blinds depending on weather, you know, if it's hot and dry, we may, we may sit some water, but it's, it's basically a spot and stall hunt. Man, I love that. My, um, my buddy drew a really good Nevada tag this year. And um, he's my hunting buddy, and so I told him I'd go hunt it, with, hunt it with him, and it's a really good opportunity. But his season dates down there are August 15th to August 31st. Wow. So we're going to be hunting pre-rut bulls, and they, they could even be in velvet, but they're going to be running in bachelor herds. Right. They're going to be running the high country. So we're almost going to be hunting them like a muley buck. But I, but I tell you guys, like what I prefer is to hunt those things – spot and stock and i'm silent i just shadow or coyote the herd and i i really wait for my opportunity to close in and so you know i've got a bunch of rules that i've kind of made over the years as elk hunting but the last 10 years i have left my calls in the truck every trip and it had to be that way i had to leave my calls in the truck so i wouldn't fall back on them when when hunting got tough or try to use that to Oh, just try to cow call in, but it's so nice to keep that element of surprise and just let elk be elk. And, and they're not as, they don't seem as switched on or as, as wiry or um, they're not on pins and needles as much, you know. They, they're they just feeding around and it 
just seems like you can get away with so much more. Um, so I've really enjoyed that, like going to those tactics and sounds like that's what you'll be doing in Arizona. Yeah. And then this Utah hunt that I'm going to go photograph. What's ironic about it is, you know, we're hunting 400 inch elk and we're going to be sitting in a tree stand. <laughs> like I it's like I'm going back to Ohio and hunting giant white hills. We're going to be sitting in a tree stand hunting 400-inch bulls. Wow. Huh. Well, it's um, you know, it's so good to think outside the box too. And whether that's with an ambush or you had mentioned water, maybe in Arizona, or even yep. using a tree stand, like we don't always have to play into these animals' strengths. Like, sometimes it's okay to play yeah. into their weaknesses and take advantage For of a, sure. a tree stand ambush. Like, that's just smart hunting. And um, sometimes I get a little bullheaded in my approaches, but I think that's really smart. I mean, I think I think the way you're hunting is the most fun. I think sometimes, like, yeah. using these yeah, yeah. other tactics yeah. may be may work a little better sometimes, but the funnest way to hunt elk is going out and getting after them. Like, everybody knows that. Like, you go on a turkey hunt, you go on and get after them. Like, that's what's fun. Um, And if it works, it it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It it really depends on the hunter, what you're looking to get out of the hunt, whether, you know, you're, you're super, super interested in killing or super interested in hunting. It's whatever works for the hunter. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it it does. Um, it, and and what about you, Robert? Do you guys like um, you, you know, and I like calling is one of the most effective ways to hunt elk. Like, don't get me wrong. There's more bulls called from a call than you know killed from a call than any other style of hunting. I've just found like these higher pressure, these bigger bulls. You really got to catch them in the right mood, and that right mood may only be once during the rut. So what do you do during the rest of the rut when you want to target these big herd bulls? You know, you you run and gun or you shadow them or try to coyote the herd and try to move in. But but what are some of um, – do you guys guide for elk over there, Robert? Um, so, you know what, it's, it's very interesting, Brian, that you asked me the question. So um, we used to um, – we used to. I actually have a, a kind of a small consortium of outfitters that uh, I work in partnership with a lot of times. And elk is actually one, Brian – that I gave up um, and have put our customers in, in better locales throughout, it, it, in Montana in particular. Um, and, and the reason I say that, Brian, is, is uh, years ago when I got into the outfitting side of the business, you know, the expectation on elk is much different than it is for deer, so to speak. It's obviously, again, we do birds. Um, it, that, and that expectation level I, I really got to be honest about it. I, it, it kind of, it, it's kind I believe the guys who are, who do it and do it well, they put up with more inconsistency. And in, even though I'm going to tell you, we, we, you know, five minutes ago, we talked about a, a, a more savvy hunter coming to us nowadays, but with elk in particular of, of all the animals that we, we do outfit for um, that one became I'm not going to say, Brian, it became problematic, but because of where elk live, because of their habits and all those things, as we go from, understand, we're looking at it from a commercial aspect. So, right, when years ago when we used to stand at trade show booths and try to, you know, 
sell folks on, you know, a backpack hunt or, you know, a horseback hunt into, you know, into the wilderness area or into a piece of national forest or even private ground. That expectation for a gentleman that we book and not to pick on something like St. Louis, but you get a guy from St. Louis who you have tried to coach six months prior to get on a treadmill, put 40 pounds of weight on a backpack, break in boots, shoot his bow all summer. He doesn't do any of it. And come mid-September, he's delivered to you here in Montana. You ride him in 12, 15 miles back to elk camp, and you tell him that you got to make that thousand you know thousand foot elevation gain tomorrow to go chase him and he's like well don't they come down to you and you're like yeah not so much (laughs) um so the short answer is is that i i still do outfit for elk it's on a limited basis it's only on private ground the stuff i do anymore and again other factors too that play a huge role brian you know you kind of were you were on the edge of it in just a minute ago, but right. Like the, I, I believe today elkers, I, I just personal experience. I believe they're smarter than they ever have been. So let's just say on the Western side of Montana, let's just talk about Montana itself. You blow an elk call on the Western side of this divide. And I'm going to tell you, you're probably pushing those elk further away from you than they are coming to you. Right. So we had predation issues you know, in the mid nineties, late nineties, early two thousands, we do have, I I feel we do have more people in the woods, you know, more recreation in general. So more people out there enjoying, you know, hiking, um, things like that in a non-hunting capacity. Again, um, you face motorized, non-motorized issues. All those things kind of add to the elk factor. And, and really, Brian, I, I feel in order to Give a give a customer a, a great a great hunt and and again, 10, 15 years ago, you know Brian, a great elk hunt in any of the western states in the interior west um, was a heck of a lot less money. The the money has gone up, and again, I'm speaking to the commercial side of things. The money's gone up. Some of the issues, depending on the state that you're involved with um, or hunting in, um, have you know, have, you know, site-specific problems. So, again, talking about predation, talking about limited number of tags, um, all those things kind of factor in, into it. And it's kind of the reason that we're very selective on what we do with, with elk. And, 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 again, I do have a number of outfitters, friends of mine, Brian, that are, have a long time in the industry that have solid footholds in certain land holdings. And, again, a lot of private, some, some scrape the public, you know, some scrape the public ground, which I'm a, a huge proponent for. But ultimately, um, you're, it, it's not again. It's not. It's not for. It's not for the the want or our desire to guide or to you know to have a commercial aspect in the elk world anymore. But it's just harder. Elk, in particular, I, I believe are the hardest ones, excluding the you know the moose, sheep, and goat from the, like you know from our part of the world. But it's a much different thing than an Eastern Montana Plains mule deer hunt, right? Um, the, the, everything that takes, you know, everything that does take to get involved in a good quality mule deer hunt or even a good whitetail hunt here in the West, um, it's, a, it's much different than it is for an elk. Um, so, again, uh, our company and, and what we do, it, it, it is. I, I would rather take a, a much less number 
um, client-wise and provide a much higher quality-wise hunt, successful or unsuccessful, but at least the opportunity to produce or to shoot or to be in front of. And again, with, with elk, that, that can, that can, there can be tricky ground to that. There can be a lot of tricky ground, right? I don't, I'm not a, I can't control a guy, what he does in the eight months or six months it takes in preparation for an elk hunt for as much as I can, we can coach it or we can help, you know, push in a, you know, in a direction of, it still doesn't account for it. And some of, in, in the latter half of the, my, the, you know, the latter half of our, uh, of the, the elk hunts that we did do, Brian, it, it got to be more frustrating, um, again, for commercial side than it was worth. It, it, it really sucks that you put the time, energy, and effort into knowing an area all summer long, taking care of them over the, you know, course of a winter or the elk or knowing where, you know, migration, you know, patterns are, and then coming all the way to full circle into September and everything that you've done up until that point, except forget, you know, getting, getting your customer, getting your client into um, the shape, whether that's physical, whether that's the shooting shape to, to really be, or, or take an edge and, and be successful. Um, so th- th- again, a kind of a long winded version of your, your question um, was that I, I do, we do do it, but, I do it on a very limited basis here in Montana and the other states that we do, um, we do bookings for, we do book elk hunts for, those are all, those are all great, you know, great outfitters that I've worked with in the past. And again, kind of, kind of fall to the same platform program that we, we try to run here. Quality over quantity, no question about it. I believe that there's, there's more outfitters out there now than there ever has been. Um, So, you you really kind of you really kind of got to watch. I mean, you know it again. You you do know it as well as I do. You've been you've been very involved in the industry on both sides of it, and and you can see right. I mean, uh, you the, the outfitters that pop up and, and Montana might be a, a a little different story, right? There's 437 big game outfitters. I'm lucky to be one of them here in Montana. Other states is not not the case, but even in the 437 outfitters that are here in Montana, Brian, man. I'm going to tell you it's a fraction of those outfitters that if you were paying your dollar for, or I was paying a dollar for that you'd want to hunt come September or, or later in the season. Man, that's the truth of it. Well, um, you're smart. You know, your you know, your lane and you know, your odds. I love how you say yeah. elk are so tough in Montana. Like, um, you're right. Like success rates for a bow and arrow are 6% for elk, you know, 3% for a bull elk. You know, and and right. anymore in today's day and age, guys want that instant gratification. They're not willing to put in, you know, that that three, four, five years worth of work, you know, to learn elk and elk behavior and get their opportunity and make it happen. They they want it now, you know, and and not to say, Donnie, yeah. that you haven't yeah. uh, paid your dues or or put in your time in the whitetail woods, which then transposes to the elk woods, you know, and, and your experience, you know, filming and photographing these hunts. But yeah, those guys want that instant gratification, and um, you know, and they like you say, elk hunts get more expensive, and they pay a lot of money, and when they come out, they expect to be successful, and uh, man, that can be a a tough. A tough order to fill. I know I have like a bunch of buddies that come out and hunt with me. And the best thing about these guys is they know it's going to be tough. 
They know bow hunting is tough. They know there's a pretty good chance they may not fill their tag. But they come out just with grit and determination. And day in, day out, they put in the effort. And they end up killing some really nice bulls. And some years they don't kill a bull or it doesn't go right. Um, but, but the greatest thing in the world is they don't show up with any expectations that every year they have to arrow a bull or every year they have to get into it like they did last year. They just come like like ready to go get into elk country and give it all they have. And usually then good things happen with that right combination, a good attitude, and then um, putting agreed. in that effort. Agreed. Yep, agreed, Brian, absolutely. Yeah, how cool. It's Well, it's going to be fun to cut these legs loose. I know, man, I'm getting so excited <laughs> to go on some of these hunts. Um, I've got like a early season mule deer Nevada hunt that's – it's kind of similar to like um, some of those eastern Montana. Those those mule deer are sure fun to hunt. Did I hear you, Donnie, say that you got a chance to hunt mule deer last year? I had a tag. I didn't have a chance to hunt. <laughs> like I was just running the camera all all year last year, so I haven't had a chance. I have yet to kill a mule deer. I'm sure soon it will happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is so that's your background, Donnie, as you started filming um like like whitetails and hunts of that nature and then uh just moved out west now? I guided whitetail hunters for about fifteen years in Ohio. Okay, you said that, yep. Um, and then just decided that I liked the Bitterroot Valley <laughs> quite a bit and packed up the family last year and, and moved out here and had a bunch of opportunities to run a camera last year all over the West. Had a great time doing it. Had some great photos, some great animals. Like, man, what I saw last year. Oh, guys, Brian, come on. You, you guys, modest, don't, Brian. guys don't see in 15 years. Like, I, I saw some stuff last year. So, you know, I had a chance to run the camera last year. This year I'm going to run the camera some, but I'm also going to, Try and get after some. Brian, I, I got to tell you, man, I'm just going to – I, I got to do it for him because he won't. But our, our buddy, my buddy here sitting next to me, he, he actually had his photograph – his photographs graced three Eastman covers last year. Um, and I'm I'm quite sure that uh, – I, I happened to be one of them was my son, so I have a little inside, inside information. But I don't think that's – been done before three covers shots in one year by one photographer oh, that has <laughs> never been done are you kidding me um that is crazy i so i knew that like it's all coming back to me and i i really should have all my notes written down but that's right i remember your son's cover with that giant buck in that the the, yeah. the green field with all the extras in there yeah i remember that buck yeah. And then, and then I remember that giant bull that came from um, was that Utah, Donnie, or where did that one come from? Yeah, that was so. That, the hunt that I was on with with Kyle last year in the Boulder, hunting Chunky, the four hundred inch bull that we died. A, that died. We had another buddy in camp that killed a three seventy ish bull down there in the Utah, and I just happened to be in camp and went and photographed his hunt or photo, just photographed his kill. And that ended up on the cover, and and then we, I was filming and photographing for an outfitter down in Arizona, Big Chino Outfitters, and um, JP, the owner, 
of Big Chino had a strip tag, and he killed a 248 on <laughs> film, and I, I was lucky enough to photograph that one, too. Oh, I remember the buck now, too. Man, that's amazing. Um, it was a crazy, crazy year. Like, I, I, I photographed a sheep hunt, a big ram, three or four other bulls. I went back to Ohio and hunted with Robert and at his place in Ohio, latitudes of Ohio. I hunted there. I killed a, a, a good buck there <laughs> first morning. And then I went down to where I used to outfit or used to guide. And uh, one of the boys down there, he killed a 178-inch, what we call in Ohio, an eight-point, <laughs> maybe referred to as a four-by-four four out here, but a 178-inch, eight-point whitetail in Ohio. And I photographed that last year. Oh my gosh, Donnie! Um, You got some good karma floating around. Like, boy, you're the good luck charm. uh, Gosh, I got to get you on a hunt. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. Uh, You saw you saw a (laughs) lot of big animals hit the dirt last year. I started marketing that last year. Just hire me for a good luck charm. (laughs) (laughs) Not not as a photographer, not as a guide. Just a good luck charm. Man, that's right. I think crazy. I think that's how I found you. Is I think my editor sent me a note and said, "Hey, you got to check out this guy. He uh, photographed this cover." And I, I think that's how he passed on your name to me, or that's how I found you on the internet. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. That that's good awesome. luck charm. That thing could go for a lot of money, Donnie. You might have a new market <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably hired me for a good luck charm this year. <laughs> if I could find a guy like me, I'd hire him. But um, what the right way to uh, like like just to show up out west and then just immerse yourself with all these great hunters and on these these great hunts, man, it had to be wild. Like switching, like uh, like I'm sure the the filming and and or the the guiding whitetails and taking pictures of whitetails, like it's really cool. Like whitetails is. You know, it's a chess match, and and um, they're really good at living in small areas, and and the big ones um, get so smart and nocturnal, and so like that's got to be such a thrill. But but just hunting out west to me just holds like a, uh, you know, I hold it like in special regard. Like it it just takes so much um, physical uh, effort as well, and mental effort. There's so much that goes into it. Like like how much. Um, you just, you just immersed yourself out west. Like how how well did you take to it last year, Donnie? Was it were you just a natural at it, or had you been doing it for a while, or was it something that you had to get acclimated to? I definitely had to get acclimated to it. I took to it pretty well, I think. I agree. Um, <laughs> it wasn't something that I was used to, but you know, I'm a hunter. I've always been a hunter. I grew up hunting. Um. Ohio, I had whitetail to hunt, so that's what we did. Um, but I always wanted to come out west and hunt. I hunted with Robert a couple years ago, a few years ago, probably three years ago. Yeah. Um, came out and hunted elk here in Montana and loved it. Always wanted to live out west. Spent some time where we live now. Decided this is the place where I wanted to live. So I came out, and I just had the opportunities to go on all these hunts. Um I've I've met a bunch of people through the industry. I do some stuff with Sick of Gear. Met a ton of good people through that, and that just turned into a you know a bunch of a bunch of hunts that I got to go on last year. 
man, how cool. Yeah. Um, when, and you yeah, sure are making right. making the most out of your no, new I, home in Montana, too. I've seen, uh, seen you've been out fishing a lot with the family this summer and taking full advantage of our, our browns and rainbows, too. Yeah, all about it, all about it. I, I got to tell you, Brian, he, you know what? At, 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 at my relationship with Donnie, he, he didn't start on the ground level when he moved here, right? I mean, a back, background because he always hunted, and especially the, the, you know, the game that he did chase, and as you said, the chess match and the intensity that whitetails can show you, right? Um, but he, he didn't show up here, you know, he didn't show up here and started in the basement. He, he, he was, he, he was, he was walking stairs to the second story when when he when he began his uh, when he started his western exposure. That's for sure. Oh, you'd have to. There's just no way you could start green <laughs> like that. There's too much to learn, too much to know. So. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind, like, uh, definitely started a leg up and working hard towards it. But, man, um, what a killer experience and, and how great to get to move out west. And, like, um, you know, I I think we're such explorers by nature. It, like, human nature is to explore new places and, and go to new mountain ranges. So how cool to be able to, like, move your home base and move your family and then explore all around you in the mountains and rivers. I bet it's been really fun, like like learning that type of stuff. <laughs> oh my God, Brian! Last year I bought a new truck, had thirty thousand miles on it in six months. <laughs> 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 if, that tells, if that tells you anything, I was definitely out exploring. Montana's a big state, isn't it? Or the West is uh, the West is big, it's isn't the it? The West, like I, I I was on, I don't know. Five hunts, six hunts in Arizona last year. I was on a hunt in Wyoming. I was on a couple hunts in Utah last year. You know, like I, I definitely put the miles on the truck last year hunting. Man, how cool! That that's um that that's what I'm about. That's what I'm getting ready to do here in about ten days too. Is just travel all over the West. Man, there's a lot of great opportunities, and there's still like um a, a lot of great critters and experiences to be had and. And, um, gosh, I've been exploring the West for 25 years and I still feel like I've only touched a fingernail of it. You know, I've hunted every state for, for a bunch of different species, but there's still so much more to explore. And even in my home, in, in our home state of Montana, I still find myself learning new mountain ranges or driving by a place and going, man, I really need to spend a season up in there and, and go check that place out. And whether that's the, the crazies or the snowies or the, you know, out east or, you know, um, uh, the breaks or northwest Montana just has some some great mule deer hunting like those big mountain deer and those missions and the cabinets. And um, so, yeah, there's um <laughs> There, there isn't enough. There isn't enough time in a lifetime, but um, I, I'm, I'm gonna try my best to see as much as I can. That's for sure. Josh, Brian, you know, like all those hunts that I just talked about, only one elk hunt last year. One of the elk hunts that I went on, out of all of those hunts, one was on private. The rest was on public land. All of them. Man, that's incredible. Man. Isn't that something? It's pretty eye-opening out there if you you get after it. Man, it sure is. I've always believed that, you know, with elk and and, and mule deer, too, those bucks of our dreams, the wide ones and kickers and stickers and deep forks, like, those bucks are out there. Uh, It's just putting in the work, figuring out where they can grow old. They, um... They they don't get old by being dumb, you know, that's for sure. They have to live multiple hunting seasons. And so 
they just find a pl- they find a way to squeak out a living the same as a big whitetail you know they just learn to live in in drainages that don't get pressured from hunters and then their instincts are really keen you know they're good at at picking up when human pressure is in an area and they have good secondary living good winter range and so yeah those animals that we dream about they're they're out there uh and and it's not every day that you harvest one uh but but they're definitely out there the opportunity exists yeah but you got to put in the work brian because you you just said it right like regard regardless of how you know regardless of the ease of things that have come right um you know, digital scouting and all those things, it's still, you, it still lays a hand that the harder you work for it, the better the results are. It doesn't all automatically guarantee you a punch tag, but the harder you do work for it, I believe the, the more out of that experience you do get, right? You still have, you still have to earn. And if your choice as a hunter, is to hunt mature or older animals or an age class of elk or deer or any of it, you, you, have, you still have to work hard. That's absolutely, unequivocally, you still have to put in the time, the energy, and the effort to do so. The, wow. the, the ones that get up shots, I just think are – Real lucky, man. Yeah, they have me. <laughs> they got Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll definitely do both. I think would work good. But no, you're 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 uh, absolutely spot on, Robert. Like, and and I'm glad to hear that that's across the board. Like, even in some of your better outfitted spots where there are big bucks living around there. They, they get real slick at avoiding hunting pressure, and so I'm glad to hear that, you know, you got to show up and, and work your butt off to be able to find that older age class animal, be able to relocate them, or, or you know, hopefully be lucky enough to get an opportunity at them, and, and then you have to keep your, keep your cool back to our original buck fever conversation, but, um, man, yeah. I, I just, uh, I'm glad that still rings true in your outfitting areas as well, that, that effort equals success. Absolutely. And it, Absolutely. It, that, that is, that's one thing, whether we're talking about our operation in Ohio, the mule deer that we do here, and, and Brian, even, again, even in birds or fishing, the, the more that you are willing to put into it, the more you absolutely get out of it. No doubt about it. Man, that's so it, isn't it? It does apply to a lot of different things, like uh, like bow hunting, yes. But it's it's wild as we, you know, I've I've got such an interest in fishing, and you also guide fishermen. But I, I think you're so right, and it's a different grind in fishing, like um, really putting in your time on the water, being there at the right times, but then just willing to do more, like willing to do a bigger float, willing to take out later, willing to do the tough put ins and takeouts. You, you know that yeah. that those little things. They all equal out to finding that magic day where all those fish eat that hatch or where it really goes off. But it's that same thing. And so I, I just love how you apply like like all these lessons uh, to fly fishing and bird hunting as well, because I think you're spot on. Yeah, no, no. I You know, again, this is uh, this will be my 23rd season, Brian, here in Montana as a guide or an outfitter. And I, I absolutely will lay that claim to it. Right. Like it is. It, it, again, birds, trout, mule deer, elk, 
the, the ones that come. And, and you know what, Brian, sometimes it's even the guys that put forth the effort that might not be able to accomplish it physically um, or, or sometimes mentally, right? Uh, the, the, going back to the buck fever conversation, right? Like I have seen plenty of guys who might be, you know, the, the physically fit, their stamina is there. They've done everything else, but you know, the, the, that, that the mental capacity, right? You, you're putting crosshairs on an animal that you've dreamed about for, you know, 10 years or 20 years. Like it doesn't always happen, but I will say absolutely hands down for, for those who come with that kind of an attitude or that kind of mentality, I believe it does pay in dividends. And it might not be every year. It might not be on the trip they decide to take with me. But if they keep after it, I, 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 I believe that they, they will be inherently more successful than, again, going back to previous conversations, than the guys that have the expectation because – they've paid for it or they've got a great lease or they've got a great line on a, a public land elk that, you know, leave the house at nine o'clock in the morning, as opposed to sun up. It, it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. All the difference in the world. You know what I would say too, Brian is, you know, you, you get a lot of guys that draw this once in a lifetime tag. They go out there. They don't have that killer instinct. And they haven't killed a lot of animals, but go out and shoot a cow elk. Yeah. Go out and shoot a yes. spike buck. Yeah, do. Get that experience of shooting animals. Like, you've got to have that experience of taking animals so that when you do have that once in a lifetime bull or buck or, or sheep or whatever it may be, when you get in that situation, You've done it before. Like, you've done it multiple times. You're not stuck on, this is, you know, my first animal that I've ever shot with a bow. That's not running through your brain. Like, what's running through your brain is, I'm about to shoot my elk. Like, it's time. Yep. Like, you have to have that experience before, you know, before you, before you master that, you have to have done it before. Oh, you guys are spot on. It. It is, yeah. You have to have done it before, and I, I, um, you have to climb the the rungs of that trophy ladder too. You can't just set out for the the biggest four hundred inch bull, the first bull, or the first animal that you that you ever kill. You know, you got to work your way up to it. You know, you have to get that experience under your belt and, and pay your dues to be able to close. And I think, you know, you were spot on, Donnie. Like they'll give you five white tailed doe tags in Montana. They are great to stock yeah. with a bow and arrow, or they give you yeah, a, yeah, an yeah, antelope yeah, tag, yeah. you know, the the 900 tag. And during antelope season, like, you may only get three stocks on a elk a season, but antelope, you can get three stocks a day, and their eyesight is so good. Yeah. They don't let you get yeah. away with anything, and so they, they teach you what yeah, you can do and cool. what you can't do. Yeah, they just develop that that skill set for you and that, that experience. So when you do draw that really good tag, um, you, you're a, a, a lethal predator going in there, you know, um, and, and, yeah. and you got your eye on the prize. Like, you know that you can harvest a good animal because you've, you've done it so many times before. So yeah, you guys are just absolutely spot on. At my, my white tail seasons in Ohio, I wanted to start the season by shooting a doe right at open day 
within a week, I wanted to shoot a doe so that later on that season, I'd already done it that season. I'd already taken an animal. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, when the next animal walks in, you've done it, you're ready to go. It's, it's not as stressful as taking your, not only your first animal ever, or but your first animal that season. Like, sure. shoot, a, shoot a, a doe, like, early, and now, like, you have that experience for that season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yep. Absolutely. Like, I find that as well, that my first time in bow range, you know, I've been waiting for this season all year long training for it. But the first time I get in bow range of a big buck or an elk, like, I'm a wreck. So if I can, like, uh, avoid some of that by, like you say, shooting a doe early or going on an antelope hunt early or an early season Nevada hunt like this year, kind of get my nerves underneath me and uh, get into bow range, be making moves. But then by the time my main mule deer and elk season runs around, I'm really comfortable with being in bow range and making those decisions and using my instincts and getting close. I'm I'm not such a nervous wreck. So I think that's a great tip as well as starting your season off with shooting a doe or, or hunting antelope or hunting a high opportunity hunt. Uh, man, it's just going to get you like, like thinking in the right mindset for season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, guys, I really enjoyed getting to meet you and have you on the phone. So, uh, Robert, where can people find you and find Latitude Outfitting? Um, so, Brian, you can find us. Our uh, The parent company is Latitude Outfitting Company, again, based based here uh, just in the Bitterroot Valley, but and uh, and our other facet is uh, Latitudes Ohio Whitetail Company. Um, both both of those they can find us at. Um, as I said, uh, our uh, our our expanse here in Montana is uh, is mule deer, um, high end mule deer, whitetails, waterfowl, upland, and and uh, as our fishing season is in full swing here, um, we do uh, we do a bunch of fishing um, throughout the summer months here, and then. Uh, I, I was, uh, we were given an opportunity a handful of years ago to begin a program um, back in Ohio, which is in, uh, I, I grew up in Ohio for a portion of my life. And uh, we also run a, a, a archery only program in, uh, in central Ohio, uh, Latitudes Ohio Whitetail Company. Um, but either one of those, Brian, um, they can find us at. And certainly I appreciate you having us on. And I, I, Brian, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta throw the invite to you. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on the podcast because I, I know you spend a lot of time with a fly rod in your hand. Um, and, uh, and obviously the bow, but we have, uh, we have some great little white tail nooks over here and some great fishing. So buddy, anytime you can make it happen, Donnie and I'll take care of you over on the West side. Man, thanks so much. I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, we got to put together a fishing trip or maybe a whitetail trip or something like that. Thanks so much for the invite. You bet, buddy. Man, that operation in Ohio, they grow some giants in the Midwest. They're, they're just like a different breed of whitetail out there, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. I, I Again, I, I, I can, you know, I can speak to it. For sure, Donnie, who's at 15 years in, in guiding whitetails in, in Ohio as well. But when the opportunity came, Brian, I, a longtime family friend, gave us a gave us a, a wide open door. Um, we are actually running on uh, the the largest contiguous piece of private property in the state of Ohio, my friend. Um, needless to say, we have some great whitetails to chase, and and as you said, it's a different. As we find our whitetails here in our river bottoms, right, and I, I know you have them over there, too, on the Yellowstone and, 
things like that. Um, but when you when you put yourself in front of those big corn fed bruisers, it's it's kind of a different animal, that's for sure. Man, they sure seem like it. They're just so heavy, so big, or at least they can grow so big. Those big mature ones. Um, but but yeah, how cool! What a what a great operation. So yeah, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. We got to get together for a fishing trip or um, find some of those river bottom whitetails. So yeah, um, you bet, Donnie. Uh, it's it's been really good to meet you. I knew this was going to make for a great podcast. But thanks for uh, taking the time and also setting up Robert on the call. It was fun to do three of us on it. Yeah, thanks for the invite, man. Like, yeah, absolutely. Great time. We've had a drink while we're talking to you. <laughs> it's been super nice. We're sitting on the front porch of my house here in Hamilton, and couldn't be better. Good. That's a requirement for the podcast, so you did your job. Um, good work, guys. <laughs> yeah. You were on it. <laughs> but, no, Donnie, I've really enjoyed following your social media, and I can't wait to see what you turn up this year. So where can guys find you at? Um, I have a website. DWilsonPhotos.com is my website. And then my Instagram, you know, I'm posting most of my stuff on there, um, DWilson204 on Instagram. Right on. Um, well, absolutely next level through the through the lens. Like uh, your photographs are, are just incredible. So I can't wait to see what you turn up this year. And I'm glad uh, that it's not all videography and photography this year, that you've got a couple of really good hunts coming up for yourself. So I'm pumped for you, man. Um, you guys have a great season. And, and, yeah, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for the invite. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Yeah, fun conversation with uh, Donnie Wilson and Robert Gary. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors for the show, Zamberlin Boots. Just building the highest quality boots. I'm so impressed by these things. Uh, I also want to thank Swagger Bipods. I forgot to give you guys the promo code in the intro there, but if you enter Brian Barney at checkout, you'll receive 20% off of Swagger Bipods. So it's just perfect coming into rifle season here. Uh, if you guys are in the market for a set of bipods or shooting sticks, make sure to check out Swagger. And, uh, man, uh, just been a, an awesome season here. starting to get cold. We've got an Arctic front moving into Montana this weekend. I was able to get out with my daughter, Last weekend, find some success with her, which was really cool to, to share an adventure with her, uh, my youngest. So that was really cool. So did that and got a muley tag here left for Montana. I'm psyched to start getting after these things during the rut. So, um, yeah, just making sure my bow's shooting good, get my gear put together. Uh, back to work here, so getting some work done on the, on the job sites, trying to get a couple houses here rolling for winter. Uh, so trying to get those things um get everything done, all the necessary uh, paperwork and permitting and things of that nature. So, yeah, just back to work here, but uh, life is good. Uh, recording some great podcasts, so um, nice to be around, be able to schedule those. And uh, got some great ones coming up for you guys and some great ones that I plan to record. So um, really looking forward to getting that out to you guys. Looking forward to get ba getting back after it with my bow here. Um, season's not over yet, so it's still got some some days to go chase some critters around, but it, it's going to be a, a different type of hunt. Um, man, when this cold starts rolling in November, December, I think we've got negative temps headed at us this weekend. Um, man, it gets to be a different kind of toughness, trying to keep warm out in this stuff and trying to backpack in it, uh, but I absolutely love it. So can't wait to get after some rut and mule deer here and see what I can't do. So 
All right, you guys, that's a wrap. Uh, check in with you next week. Uh, thanks, as always, for all the support for Eastman's Elevated and social media pages and things. I sure appreciate it. And uh, wish you guys the best of luck for the rest of the season. So get after them. We'll talk to you soon.